Welcome to Backroom Talk. All right, well, uh, topic of conversation for today, this is gonna be a fun one. We're talking about different set types. Generally, why would someone, why would a coach program A, B, C, D versus A1, A2, B1, B2? Imagine if you have someone that wants to be in the gym longer. Well, let's uh, move on to combining exercises, whether it be in a super tri or a giant set. We can take the antagonist approach, so you're using opposing muscle groups. To listen to more Backroom Talk, be sure to subscribe. Learn to design personalized programs with the OPEX system of coaching by heading to opexfit.com. Welcome to another episode of Backroom Talk. I am Georgia here with Carl. This is uh, our first episode for 2022, but we are recording it in 2021. So yeah, it's kind of like the future. Yeah, you blew my mind there. I was like, damn, it's already 2022. But I guess it is in a couple of days. Yeah, for the people that are listening, it is 2022. Yes. Um, doesn't really feel like the end of the year, but I guess it is. We're, we're doing the New Year's thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's... Uh What's your highlight of 2021? What was your highlight of 2021? Ooh, highlight of 2021 would have been getting back to competing in BJJ. Nice. And like pushing the envelope there and nice. just feeling like myself uh, more in, in fitness. Awesome. What was yours? Uh, I should have answers to these questions before I ask them. I feel like I did this yesterday too. Um, no real highlight. Yeah, nothing that comes to mind. I think it was just... Uh, it was good to it was good to do all the things that we did this year um the past couple of years just feel like a melding of time so it's really hard for me right now without actually intentionally sitting back and thinking about january to now um yeah the past couple of years have just kind of melded together i don't know if anyone else feels that way but i don't feel like 2021 actually happened or is already over and we're already into 2022. So I don't think about that one. Professional highlights though, we did launch two startups at OPEX. <laughs> we launched we did, uh, yeah. LearnRx and then CoachRx, two brand new uh, offerings. So yeah. those are kind of highlights. Those were big for the team here. Yeah, massive highlights. Yeah, yeah, professionally, those were those were big. Even personally, I use both of those things personally. So those were, those were good things, selfish things for me where I was like, oh yeah, let's do some things that I'm gonna use. But no, they're, they're good. They're out there, they're rolling and um, they're increasing the value of fitness coaches. Definitely. Well, we just added a brand new feature January 1st to LearnRx, which is our subscription-based education platform. If you guys haven't checked it out, make sure you go and do that. Uh, you can take a couple courses in there for free to be able to check out the platform and then everything else is in there for a small monthly subscription fee. So we'll drop a link so you can check out LearnRx. Brand new feature that went inside there though is the programs section. So up the very top of the screen, you'll now be able to see that there is a button to click for programs. It takes you to a library. We'll have it broken out for now. OPEX gain, pain and sustain. So resistance, anaerobic and aerobic program examples. Uh, we've got some in there as a start and then those are gonna be built out over time. Uh, some co A couple more going in every month. And they're long-term training plans or I guess they're short-term plans, mm -hmm. like more kind of four to 12 week range is what yeah. we'll have in there uh, depending on depending on the program and what's appropriate uh, but just to see to help coaches see principles actually put into practice and the way that other coaches think about laying out a design yeah I think that's that's really we've been talking about this for quite some time um, who did it really well uh, I think catalyst yeah that's what yeah. comes to mind <laughs> yeah catalyst and uh, Greg over there that those guys 
had great exam programming examples in there. Um, and I think a lot of people went in there and they just like tried to follow those things forever. I don't know if that was the intention of those, but I want to be really clear that this isn't the intention of these and this feature. It's like, if you want to, and these are in coach RX as well. So, um, every program that you see in LearnRx is also connected as a program in CoachRx. So you can assign that to yourself, to your clients, personalize those those principles that, that Georgia said or that framework um, to make it individu individualized to your people. Um, but the intention isn't to just like run these programs one after another. Um, the intention is to look at, you know, how we would progress some things um, and realizing that this isn't an answer for anyone. It's just uh, one example of a way to implement those principles. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let, let, let's say that you have a client, you test a 5K row with them because that's one of the programs that we have in there initially. You've got a framework laid out of what progression could look like for that person over the coming six weeks or so before you then go ahead and retest. Obviously, we all adapt at different rates. People do well with different kinds of volume and intensity and pace work and things like that but it's going to give a coach a really good um like understanding of a way that someone could progress a 5k row yeah good point you could easily that's that one's laid out to personalize right it's like what's your clients um what's your your clients race pace and then you're progressing off of race pace and you're increasing or decreasing that race pace over a number of weeks with the idea of getting that uh requisite volume in each uh, each session and then also another session where you're just getting in some more time on the rower um, so yeah I guess you could take a program like that plug in um, you know their race pace and progress from there so that's a that's an easy easy example because it's just cyclical work definitely well guys if you're not in learn rx or coach rx you can go check out those programs now we'll throw links for you to be able to check out learn rx you don't have to be a ccp coach to use learn rx and uh, be able to access that those uh, programs there so uh, go check it out and soon you won't have to be a ccp coach to access coach rx either Ooh, yeah big announcement coming into quarter one yeah very very soon yes you guys uh stay tuned on that one but we do have a cohort for ccp that actually just opened up uh, general and yesterday so uh, if you've been thinking that in 2022 this is your year to become a CCP coach well now is your time uh, I will drop a link to apply to CCP in the description and uh, we'd love to have you in our first uh, or it'll, I guess second cohort for 2022 because the January group is uh, just about already to kick rolling off. yeah 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 they kick off January 11th yeah. good luck to those guys yeah good luck <laughs> All right. Well, uh, topic of conversation for today. This is going to be a fun one. We're talking about different set types. So uh, in resistance program design, uh, typically, I guess most people would think about a straight set. So just like your A, B, C, D, or maybe even a superset, A1, A2, B1, B2, C1, C2, on and on. Some other ideas that we chat about in CCP are tri-sets, where you're like A1, A2, A3, B1, B2, B3, and then giant sets, which could be four exercises, six exercises, as many as you want. You could do the whole alphabet if you wanted to. I don't recommend that, but you could. <laughs> well, I guess it would be not the whole alphabet, but the whole... Um numerical scheme right because it's a one two three four five six seven eight nine ten oh yeah i didn't really yeah, think yeah. about that so just to infinity yeah you can just keep going true yeah very very oof. we should challenge ourselves like what is the longest giant set we can put together in training not with ourselves though with a with a client without them 
being like, what the fuck are you're, you giving you're me? You're crazy. I'm firing yeah. you. It's like A1 through A36. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm up for the challenge, but I do not recommend that any of our listeners uh, take it on themselves. Oh, we don't want to be messing up any people. <laughs> How many times do you even go through that, though? That's the question. Uh, gosh, A1 through 36? Yeah. So I, I feel like you've got to you go just... minimum of three, like no less than, no fewer than three rounds through the A1 through. And then you got to figure out like how many uh, numbers mm. you can you can squeeze out of the A's. Yeah, unless you do some repeating, right? You can go A one through A thirty six, and every six exercises, it kind of repeats, so it it's laid out like uh, you know what I'm saying? Like similar exercises. No, uh, same. So set- it's like oh. imagine you know back squat, uh, push press, um, ring row. Uh, and then back-to-back squat, push, press, ring row, and it's still A1 through 36, but it's literally, uh, (laughs) you're bouncing back and forth, but the rest stays really short. That sounds terrible. Um, And also just like you're doing regular sets, but you're cheating to try and get all the way down to 36. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, sometimes we can... uh, Dress exercise up, Georgia. There we go. Make Gotta it make look it like look something new. it's not. Yeah. That's uh, that's it. The newest, hottest program in 2022, the A1 through A36. That might be a 2023 thing. Yeah, uh, we'll put that off. Let's get back on track. Let's All talk right. about sets. So we're talking about sets. We are going to chat through straight sets, supersets, tri-sets, and giant sets. When you may or may not use each one, uh, some of the good reasons to and good reasons not to, and uh, give some examples as well. So I think the logical place to start the conversation, Carl, is with our straight set. So your A's, B's, C's, like let's say the workout is A, back squat, three sets by, you know, five reps by three sets. Mm -hmm. B, we're doing some dumbbell walking lunges, eight reps by three sets. And then C, we're doing some weighted hip extensions, uh, 10 reps by three sets. I don't know. I'm writing this uh, on the spot. So that would be an example of a straight set where uh, there is all of the sets completed before moving on to the next exercise. Yeah. Let's uh, talk about why straight sets are cool. Uh, yeah, I think um, a lot of, I mean, we can we can just roll through kind of like the the, the bullets that, that we had written down. But before we do that, it's just like, Generally, why would someone, why would a coach program A, B, C, D versus A1, A2, B1, B2? Um, it's if the person has, it's if the person, and this, these are just like examples, like thought experiments, right? Imagine if you have someone that wants to be in the gym longer, mm-hmm. right? And you're like, I don't want to give this person, you know, six different exercises because they're just learning movement, but they just really enjoy being in the gym, Right. It's like, so we're not trying to create really efficient training sessions for that person. We can give them A, B, C, and D um, instead of the superset fashion um, if they want to be in the gym for 45 to 60 minutes, right? Um, Whereas if we want A1, A2, B1, B2, that would probably be like 30, 40 minutes. So you can extend training sessions out for people that want to feel like they're doing more work and spending a little bit more time in the gym because they just enjoy it. I don't know why someone would want to do that, but I'm sure there's some avatars out there that would just like to spend more time in the gym. Um, Another reason is someone's really focused on a particular goal um, and they really need to, uh, they really need to put their time, energy, and effort into that one exercise or that one pattern. Um, and you could see this as like a compound at the start of a training session, right? If you're really focused on, 
let's just like take a polarized uh, example here. If you're focused on the snatch, right? Do you want to do A1, A2, snatch, and bench press? Probably not, right? I know that was like a polarized example. You probably would never really do that if you're actually trying to get stronger in the snatch. But just take that approach to the back squat or the deadlift, right? If you really want to get strong in the back squat, should you be doing back squat supersetted with a core exercise? No, because because that's going to lower your potential to express uh, max at a maximal level on the back squat. So you would just do a straight set. You would just say, A, I'm back squatting, you know, three reps times eight sets at 85%. And it's like I'm resting as needed. And I'm not worried about, like, efficiency and all that because I'm really focused on improving my back squat. So that's another reason. And another one is just like learning, right? Like you get a, a super novice person that's learning to do all patterns and they just don't have that motor control established and you're doing a lot of time under tension in a particular pattern, it might become a little bit too metabolic if you superset that or triset that or giant set that, right? Like you probably want them to focus on just that pattern, rest as needed again, just that pattern. So it's very similar to the first example where that person wanted to get strong. Now this one just wants to really learn the movement. So, you know, is that boring for that person? Maybe, but it's what they need, right? So I think sometimes we superset to keep people engaged. Um, here we wouldn't want to keep this person engaged. We'd want, the, want them to be hyper-focused on the task at hand. So you wouldn't want to go like high time under tension squatting with high time under tension pulling because their brain is like going back and forth and learning these two patterns and essentially they're trying to learn them at the same time and you're going to have some overlap and some some uh, some lack in efficiency in learning if that makes sense definitely and even for the person who isn't like trying to learn like learning a new pattern or a new skill isn't necessarily the goal uh, of the session i mean i know personally i find sometimes when i have supersets my mind just goes to the other exercise right mm -hmm. like my focus goes there and it's not the fact that i'm trying to develop you know a new pattern or anything like that that's the problem i just get distracted and i lose focus because i'm thinking about what comes next versus staying very present and in the moment and focused on you know I'm just back squatting or I'm just deadlifting. So for people that can be a little squirrely and always thinking about what comes next in the future mm -hmm. and have like more anxiety, anxious kind of tendencies, sometimes keeping them focused on one thing can help them be more present in their training sessions. Yeah. And you, you have to think less about, you have to think less about interference between exercises as well. Um, for example, if you're doing like uh, dumbbell suitcase walking lunges, you don't have to think about like, what are the implications of holding those dumbbells in the suitcase position for 30 steps and then having to go over and do deadlifts or uh, strict pull-ups or something like that where you're like, is, are, you, are they going to be out of grip by the time they get to that next exercise in the second or third set? So you can really hyper-focus and not think about the implications of other exercises when you're not doing supersets. Another thing that comes to mind is unilateral exercises and just how time consuming some of those can be. And if you give someone a superset of like, you know, rear foot elevated split squats on either side and then call it a single arm dumbbell floor press on either side, that superset could take, depending on number of sets that they're getting through, like 20 or 30 minutes to complete, mm -hmm. which can feel like it can make you feel really bogged down uh, getting through that like one section of the workout. So it's not to say that you can't superset two unilateral exercises. You absolutely can. But you could also think about just 
doing the the rear foot elevated split squats and just doing the floor press, having rest between sides as mm-hmm. needed, just to have the cadence of the workout move a little bit faster. Yeah. I was going to dig deeper into that, but I'll hold it to when we start talking about supersets. Ooh, okay. Okay. Anything else to say on straight sets? I feel like it's uh, fairly straightforward. Ooh. Ooh. Pun intended. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think it's uh, the last the last bullet we had, um, or the last couple. I, I think this is relating to the first point I made, but uh, if the person doesn't have a lot of work to get done inside of that specific session, if you have someone that's training two times a week and you're trying to do a bunch of different patterns over those two days per week, um, I wouldn't recommend doing straight sets with that person because they probably have to get a decent amount of work done, quote unquote, um, per session. But for someone that doesn't need to get a bunch of work done, like the avatar that really needs to focus on improving their back squat or the avatar that really needs to focus on improving one or two patterns specifically, straight sets would be a, a great a great opportunity to focus on those things. Um, also, someone that's okay with longer rest periods because the rest periods have to be longer if we're running straight sets and we're not trying to make this like a, a super metabolic bout. And if we were trying to make it a metabolic bout, we'd do super try or quad sets or giant sets. Definitely. Uh, <clears throat> before we move on from straight sets as well, I think it'd be beneficial just to link it to training age and then also like phase of training a little bit as well because, uh, and this is not the only time you do a straight set. You could definitely do a straight set with a novice. We already talked about the learning patterns, mm-hmm. but it's likely going to be more often that you're programming straight sets for an advanced client who has the ability to hyper-focus on building strength in the back squat or the deadlift and can really express that one activity compared to your novice or intermediate who may be doing more A1, A2 type work. Uh, Phases of training as well, accumulation versus intensification. When are we going to be doing more work versus less work? We're probably doing less work in intensification. So you may be more likely to program straight sets in that intensification period. Yeah. Great point. Um, yeah, I would just harp on the learning piece though. Um, there, there are some clients that just don't do well with, um, with supersets when doing like very, uh, just call it like, uh, mentally taxing, exercises like new ones or exercises that they're not comfortable with or whatever the case is um yes there's an argument don't give them that but i think we do want to challenge our clients sometimes so yeah if if uh if they don't fall into that camp i agree completely like let's look at what we're doing um in terms of the the type of cycle and look at what we're doing in terms of training age all right. Well, let's uh, move on to combining exercises, whether it be in a super try or a giant set. And we'll talk about the nuances of each one individually. But I think before we do that, it's beneficial just to talk about principles that apply to all of them, because if there are similar reasons that you would program a super set versus a tri set versus a giant set compared to just going for a straight set option. And then inside of that, there are some little pieces that do differ from exercise to exercise. So I guess first point, uh, all of these options are less time consuming mm-hmm. than doing a giant set it's, or doing a straight set, I should say. It's yeah. the reverse of, uh, of what we discussed. If you have a client who is a little bit time poor, having them go through exercises, whether it be superset, A1, A2, three exercises in a row, or you know some larger kind of circuit is always going to be faster than doing them straight through. Yep, agreed. So client's time poor. Mm-hmm. Other than that, uh, there's the built-in rest periods that come between exercises that you don't get when you're doing like a 
A, B, C, D. So let's say, and this ties into the less time consuming piece. Like let's say you have someone doing uh, an A1, A2 rest 60 to 90 seconds compared to like an A, B rest two minutes. Mm -hmm. You're still really getting the same amount of rest between those two exercises, but you're just getting through it all a little bit faster than you would have done A, B. So that rest is built in there. Yeah, definitely. And you also have to take into account the the time under tension in the other exercise as well, right? So uh, let's say it's A1, A2, resting 60 seconds between each set. Um, you're not only resting 60 seconds before you get back to it, right? Like you said, you're resting 60 seconds. So we complete A1. I'm resting 60. And then let's say that um, my my next exercise, A2, takes me 60 seconds to get through. So I already have two minutes that I rested since I ended that first exercise. And then I have another 60 seconds of rest after that uh, A2. So that's three minutes of rest before I go back to that first exercise. So that could be a bit misleading for people when they see like the shorter quote unquote rest periods. They're like, oh my God, I'm going to be back to this exercise way too quickly. It's like, actually, that's not the case. You're probably going to have more rest before you get back. But the, the caveat to that is that global fatigue is going to be there from a2 whatever a2 was whether that was agonist or antagonist doesn't matter what the exercise is if you do a bunch of strict pull-ups and then you're going into a back squat you're going to feel the fatigue from the strict pull-ups even though you're not using uh like muscle groups if that makes sense absolutely absolutely does uh so let's talk i guess about different kinds of like configurations uh that could go inside of a super try or a giant set uh so like the different kinds of exercises you could put inside there and the reasons for them what are the variations that you could see and i know it's hard to kind of extrapolate it out across all of those yeah um we'll have a lot of similarities um as we go through super try and giant but um we could take the antagonist approach so you're using opposing muscle groups so just think about doing, you know, biceps and triceps or chest and back or quads and hamstrings. And there's some research out there that uh, when you use this method, it actually potentiates the other, right? So if I do quads, I'm potentiating the hamstrings. It's like, is that true for absolutely everyone? No, because of that global fatigue, right? If someone does a bunch of squats and then they have to do a bunch of RDLs, they're going to feel glutes in the squats and in the RDL. So there's going to be some comp compounding of fatigue that will occur. Um, so you can take that approach, the antagonist, or you could take the agonist, which is the same muscle group. Um, so here we're looking at, and the first one in the antagonist, we're looking at efficiency, right? We're like, we want to get that work done and we want to get in a, a shorter amount of time. Maybe some potentiation occurs. We can rest a little less between exercises because they're opposing. Um, or we can rest really long, right? Like what if this was an intensification phase and we wanted to go A1, A2, uh, back squat, weighted pull up, and we were doing threes across for eight sets, right? Like advanced German volume training-esque, right? Um, you could still rest a long time, be really efficient, and still get strong. So that's antagonist. Agonist is uh, we're using the same muscle group. So we're trying to compound fatigue. Um, so anytime that we talk about agonist as we go through the next couple variations, let's just think about the only real reason you would want to do that is if you want to compound fatigue. You wouldn't go A1, A2, uh, back squat, hack squat, 
with four minutes rest between to increase efficiency. That just doesn't make sense. Just do straight sets, right? Because you're, you're going to end up resting the same amount of time. So it makes a lot of sense when we go agonist for all of these structures when rest is short, but we can still go antagonist with short rest and still have the potentiation opposing muscle groups and uh, increase efficiency and also try to really tax the metabolic system or increase metabolic fatigue. Yeah, the um, the antagonist example that you gave there, uh, I'll drop a study in the description. Uh, it's from Paz et al. Volume load and neuromuscular fatigue during an acute bout of agonist antagonist paired set versus traditional set training. And what that study pulled out was that there are potential performance benefits from uh, doing antagonist style supersets, whereby the trainees were able to get in greater volume uh, across the session and had greater muscle fatigue compared mm -hmm. to the people doing traditional like straight sets. Yep. Now, when is that beneficial? If someone is trying to gain mass <laughs> or do hypertrophy style training, for sure, we want them to get in greater volume and having greater fatigue may be beneficial if they're able to recover from that. Mm -hmm. When is that not beneficial? If like, you know, maximal strength is uh, is the goal and just doing more, but at like lower force is not actually uh, pushing them towards those goals. So I'll drop that one in for anyone to give a read that they're interested in. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we have to take in consideration what the hell do people enjoy doing, right? We're going to get better results. I don't give a shit what, you know, 300 people over here on the other side of the world saw. Um, for us personally or for our clients, it's like, whatever they enjoy and they're really connected to and they have a good time doing. And like you said, they're able to recover from, it's like, I would probably consider that, right? Cause you could have some clients where you're like, Hey, straight sets are the way to go for you based on your goals. And they're just like dreading going to the gym because they just do not enjoy, you know, doing an exercise and, and resting 16 minutes before they go back to that exercise. So we also have to take that that thing into consideration as well. Yeah, it's funny that you say that. I have one client and uh, probably like three years ago, I gave him some giant sets, uh, full body resistance giant sets. Mm -hmm. And he had some great results from them, but he also loved them. He yeah. had a re he had a really fun time with them. And I'll deviate from that sometimes, right? We'll go in, we'll do some supersets, we'll do some tri-sets, we'll do some straight stuff. And then every couple months, if we haven't done a giant set in a while, he'd be like, so... Do you remember that time that you gave me those like four exercises back to back to back? Could we do that again? Yeah, I yeah. really enjoyed that. And it mm -hmm. simply is just like, A, he has the attachment that when he did that, he felt really good and had some good results from it. So he likes to go back to it. Yep. And B, he just had fun doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd probably not fall in that camp specifically, but I'd fall into the camp of preferring at least supersets. Um, I don't know. I did don't really enjoy doing an exercise and waiting four minutes. Um, obviously, that's because I'm not trying to get stronger. Uh, specifically, I'm sure if I was trying to get stronger right now, I'd be super connected to that because I'd be like, this is going to get me what I need. Um, but I'd fall into that camp more so of like wanting to like, you know, do something, rest a little bit, do something else, rest a little bit, do something. Um, but traditional traditional programs that we would see that use supersets um, obviously you can throw together any program and go a1 a2 b1 b2 and you don't have to slap a name on that but um, traditional programs that come to mind for me when i think of supersets i think of german volume training and advanced german volume training um, that's the whole idea behind those those training programs it's like 10 by 10 or 5 by 10 and it's um you know using um, antagonist muscle groups 
and uh, the whole idea behind that is like find your 20 rep max and then you're doing that 20 rep max in week one for 10 by 10 or the or the 5 by 10 and you're kind of progressing that over a number of weeks but I think that would be the the first program that comes to mind uh, that most people would know when I think about supersets. Absolutely. Before we move on to, and we've been talking around it, but into the nitty gritty of why you choose super over try over giant, uh, I wanted to ask you about like the idea of pre-exhaustion and using, like, let's say it, it's the idea, right, that you identify uh, something is a weak link uh, in in the back squat, for example, like someone's low back is a weak link in the back squat and you don't want that to be the issue, but you know the quads can take more work than the low back can. So you have them do some like leg extensions or something mm -hmm. before they go and do their back squats. So their quads get the dose that they need and the low back is able to be trained as well. Yeah. Any thoughts on pre-exhaustion um, as a rationale for doing supersets? Not a huge fan of it. Um, gosh, reason being is because you know, with, with the example that you laid out just now, I think that's a lot of people's thoughts on uh, pre-exhaustion training. Um, it's like, just fucking pick a different exercise instead of the back squat. If you understand that the uh, back is the limiter and you want to put more, you know, volume into the quads or just do, you know, pick that a different exercise and do additional uh, back exercise exercises. So it's not the limiter. So um, I feel like it's just like, I don't know. Let me use like James's term. I think it's like band-aiding a problem, right? And like sounding really cool. It's like, we're going to pre-exhaust this thing. It's like, how about you just train it? You know what I mean? So I'm not a huge fan. Yeah, it's not like a <coughs> rabbit hole I've ever been down or something I've tried just because of exactly what you said. Like, yeah. is there just not a better alternative that will get the <laughs> dose that I want for yeah. the muscles that I want? And can I just bring up that weak link in accessory work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've... I've tried it um, in like the physique bodybuilding days. I tried that stuff and I came to the same conclusion. I'm like, why the, why the, why am I quote unquote pre-exhausting? Like it's not doing anything for me. Let me just get the volume and training that I would otherwise have gotten in this pre-exhaustion technique. I think it's just another, uh, another buzzy, a buzzy thing that maybe some coaches put in uh, because they want to explore, which is completely cool. Um, but I don't think it's, uh, it, I, I know it's not superior than, than just like training the weak links uh, inside of the training program. For sure. I think it makes training sound more complicated than it really is, right? Which is yes. fine if you're getting the results that you want. But we talk a lot of the time with coaches who are overwhelmed by mm -hmm. ideas like pre-exhaustion and uh, they, that ma it makes them feel like program design is inaccessible. Yeah. So just reframing and realizing you don't have to use all these fancy techniques to get the most effective uh, yeah. results. I agree. Did we miss anything of like general reasons why to combine exercises? I don't think so. I think if we did, we'll, we'll probably have some carryover from, uh, from super to, and try and giant. Sounds good. So, uh, let's spend a little bit of time on supersets specifically now. Trisets. Uh, trisets. Uh, any more on supersets? Um, or are we done? I think, yeah, I think that's good. I mean, yeah, I just wanted to give um, an example of some programs that you might see. Yeah. Um, and that was GVT and Advanced GVT yep. that came to mind. Um, yeah, I don't know. Did you want anything else to that? The only thing that came to mind was uh, just 
increase in in like like patterns so mm-hmm. in agonists like for a client especially with body weight exercises let's say you have a client who they can do a couple strict pull-ups but they can't do a lot but you do want them to work on those strict pull-ups mm-hmm. pairing something like a strict pull-up with a chin over the bar hold or lat pull downs just to get them more volume in that pattern as an a1 a2 versus like doing their two strict pull-ups and, yeah. and being done uh, so that's a nu- that I didn't know it doesn't really fit inside of any of the intentions that we talked about, yeah, yeah. but that was something that came to mind. Yeah, I don't know if I'd call that. I guess it could be structured as an agonist superset, but I would call that like more of a drop set. Hmm. Um, that's how I would design that it. I think you're deloading would, the same pattern, right? Yeah, yeah. I would. Uh, yeah, I would program that stuff. Like if the intention is to extend volume inside of a particular set, I would use a drop set method, which could be that what you just said, right? It's like do two strict pull ups. Um, and then, you know, accumulate 30 seconds chin over the bar and end with a max eccentric, right. To like really get some good volume in that pattern or for that exercise. Um, or if you're working with someone that's a little more advanced, it's like, you know, let's go some, you know, five strict weighted pull-ups and, you know, let's say that you're in accumulation phase. You want to get some tonnage in there with the, with the weighted pull-ups. It's like do five drop down, rest just long enough to take the belt off. And then I want you to go AMRAP minus one and uh, body weight strict pull-ups. So I guess you could go A1, A2 on that, but I think my brain would go like, let's just keep that in a particular exercise and make it like drop set fashion. Yeah. Got it. Cool. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That's all for supersets. Cool. Let's go to triceps. Yeah. Triceps. So did you have some examples to lay out for this one? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Some thoughts on triceps. Uh, Me and triceps go back. I've Um, seen you do some triceps. (laughs) I love tri-sets. Yeah. I prefer tri-sets over giant sets. But um, so same idea on antagonist versus agonist. Um, again, for tri-sets, if we're looking at, if we're looking at doing agonist tri-sets or like muscle groups, I'd, I can't think of anything unless I'm missing something. I can't think of any examples where I would use agonist um, without a little bit of rest between each. Like it goes back to why not just do straight sets um, unless it's something specific to that client and it's a preference. They want to like go from this to this to this and then back to that. Um, I don't think there's a lot of validity in that. Um, antagonist, yeah, it's a it's another way to structure and, and uh, create some efficiency. Um, I actually use antagonist tri sets with a, with a number of clients um, just to get to get, you know, three different patterns of movement in and one set one tri set over you know three sets or four sets or whatever the case is to get done with that and then move on to the next or just to get out of the gym um so some classic tri sets that i've put together have been uh with more like general population people have been like a1 a2 a3 and then done with resistance for the day and do that five times a week um you get some really good stuff in there and usually what i do in those is it's like you know, uh, a more compound movement, a more compound movement, and then like uh, probably like a core pattern or something like that, A1, A2, A3, and then move on to, you know, some aerobic work or that's it for the day. So, yeah, you could definitely roll out some antagonists there. The program that comes to mind uh, with this one, and this is one that we're going to drop in LearnRx, is the 6-12-25 method. So essentially what this looks like is this is agonist. So the, the idea here is that you're creating a lot of fatigue um, in a particular muscle group or a pattern. Um, so essentially, it would be six reps um, 
of an exercise. So let's give an example here. So let's go, what body part should we use here, Georgia? Quads. Okay. Let's go um, narrow stance back squat at 20x1, uh, six reps times three sets, and we're resting 15 seconds. Okay. Okay. So the idea there on that six is we're recruiting higher threshold motor units. So this is tough, right? Like those are tough. That's a tough six reps. Then we're moving on to the 12s. So the idea on 12 and 25 is that we want to recruit lower threshold motor units. And we really want to exacerbate metabolic fatigue. Obviously, what we're doing in the 12s versus the 25s has to be different. So six, we want to keep we want to keep compound on the six because we want tough high threshold 12 it's like in the middle right because we can't do some exercises really under fatigue for 25 reps um 12s we can do a, just about anything so we want this to be more high threshold than the than the 25 so if we're going narrow stance back squat for six reps here for 12 let's do a machine hack squat right something that you don't have to be like you know you don't have to have like uh a, a ton of midline stability because you just fatigued yourself in the, the higher threshold uh, narrow stance back squat and then you're just kind of jumping in that that hack squat machine and you're doing 12 reps at again like a two zero x one tempo you're jumping off that machine and then you're resting another 15 seconds and then you have to do something that you can perform under fatigue for 25 reps without stopping so for a lot of people this is very limiting, right? It's like, what do we do? For some people, it's going to be an air squat. For other people, it could be a goblet squat, right? For some, it could be a belt squat or a landmine belt squat or something in that variation. Um, so we just do that 20x1, 25 reps, and then we're going to rest three to four minutes, and then we're going to do that for three to four sets. So that's the 6, 12, 25 method. Let's be clear. You're not giving this to a novice trainee, right? Yeah, first day in the gym, let's fucking go. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be sore tomorrow. <laughs> I know what I'm doing as a coach. You're going to be really sore. And you're going to, you're not going to regret hiring me. Not it. Uh, yeah, definitely uh, stick with, uh, stick with advanced trainees for this. Awesome. Yep. Uh, just to hit on the antagonist triceps a little bit. Uh, I found it to be really beneficial for clients that you're doing full body resistance with where you're going one lower body activity and then you want to go push and pull up. Mm -hmm. So let's say you, cause we get this question fairly regularly, like, for full body resistance do i have to do all the lower patterns like mm -hmm. squat bend lunge plus push and pull no you just have to do some combination of them but oftentimes people can recover and push and pull you know three times a week mm -hmm. uh, maybe even more depending on the person and what they're doing so employing an a1 a2 a3 where they might be doing compounds for all of them to get through a you know back squat bench press and barbell row as a fairly time efficient way to get through all those patterns and then move on to a little core accessory or yep. like you said, some map work. Definitely. Yeah, I like that a lot. I found a interesting article uh, that was, the title is Similarity and Adaptations to High Resistance Circuit, which is in their case, an antagonist triset mm -hmm. versus traditional strength training and resistance trained men. Uh, it is by Alcaraz uh, Perez Gomez, Shavarius and Blazovich. I totally just murdered all of those okay. last names, okay. but I'll drop the link so you guys can check it out if you want to. 
And what it found was similarity in adaptations uh, in both strength and then some like in, in capacity endurance tests as well for people doing these high resistance uh, circuits versus like traditional straight through strength training. The programs are exactly the same, except that for the uh, tricep people, they were doing short rest periods and then a long rest period mm-hmm. at the end of each tricep. So I thought I thought that was interesting. They tested like one RM uh, for both groups, and at the end of I think it was an eight week period, both produced like similar strength and mass uh, improvements. I just don't feel like that would be the case if you carry that on for week after week, yeah. or month after month, or year after year. Yeah, yeah, I would look at you know, um, you know what what was a how do you measure adaptation rates? B what were their adaptation rates to that particular program? Because if they were just high for everyone, uh, no matter what the heck they were doing, they're probably going to see some improvements at the end. Um, and I think we've talked about talked about this idea on this podcast before, but um, you know, it goes against popular belief and what we say in principles. But can someone increase their one rep max through accumulation phases? Absolutely, right? Someone builds a ton of tonnage over a number of weeks. Um, they could have done you know straight sets, back squats, percentage work versus accumulation doing squatting three or four times a week and accumulating a lot of tonnage across those those eight weeks Um, and they could possibly see the same exact strength gains but like you said like what's best practice right if someone's trying to get strong over a five-year period what splits are you going to run with that person when you're like okay now it's time to increase strength Um, I'm going to venture to guess that if you're working with that person for five years, those are going to be more specific splits in year three than they were in year one, where in year one, we were getting really strong with just accumulating tonnage. Year three, it's like, it doesn't even matter anymore. Now we have to train the nervous system. So that's when we start talking about like training ages and like the differences between intensification and accumulation. And that's one of the reasons why we say, hey, if you're a beginner, just live in accumulation because you're going to learn how to move and you're going to get stronger because you're doing work and you're going to adapt to that thing. Once you get into that advanced stage, shit gets a lot more complicated um, and you have to get into more advanced methods to get those advanced results. So, um, yeah, I would I would just be curious what the training ages are. And uh, I would take that with a grain of salt like. Yeah, if they were, you know, novice trainees across the board, it's like that's actually to be expected that they're going to get some increases in one rep maxes no matter what the heck they're doing. For sure. I was just uh, doing a quick look to see if I could figure out what they meant by trained men. Uh, Average age was 22.7 years, but it's unclear uh, what they meant by trained men. So Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, likely it was just like, do you have do you have experience in resistance training? And if yeah. people say yes, they're trained, right? For sure. Um, but we know how that goes. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Got plenty of advanced lifters walking in who yeah. uh, are definitely not quite there. Yeah, but yet. I wouldn't just discount that. Like that's what we believe, right? For like sure. people can get stronger by doing work. Absolutely, right? and but they can do. You know, it's okay to dabble with different kinds mm-hmm. of work if, like you said, people enjoy it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Try sets. Anything else to uh, add there? Um, Let's hit some giant sets. Yeah, so giant sets, we're talking about doing four or more. Um, Dorian Yates did not create giant sets by any means, but he made them super popular. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you know Dorian Yates's uh, training style and like what, how he became really popular. The guy got fucking huge by doing a lot of work. So he was the guy that was, you have like your... Um, 
you have like your your Ronnie Coleman's or um, guys in that camp that are just like lifting super heavy weights and they're doing that for decent amounts of volume. Dorian, he lifted very moderate weights and he did it for an obscene amount of volume and his training sessions were they were like uh you ever, you ever see like crossfitters lying on the ground and like puking that's that's what uh his resistance training sessions did to people that would train with him so he did a lot of giant sets and he didn't just do like a1 through a4 he would do like a1 through a10 and it would be like they it would be like quads <laughs> a1 oh. through a10 yeah um so that guy, that guy really got after it. And when I think of giant sets, I know he didn't create them, but that's who I think of. I think of Dorian Yates and that training style. And his, uh, his idea and the reason why he did that was he said that, you know, my, my, my joints can't take the beating of heavy loads, so I have to make up for that um, and doing a lot of volume with moderate to light loads because my body feels great after, you know, coming off a season doing stuff like that, doing that, that type of protocol. Um, so he just swore by it. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because obviously to get strong uh, at a certain point, like if strength is the goal, like you got to lift heavy weights, but if getting big is the goal, there are multiple ways that you can do it, right? Yep. You can lift heavy weights uh, and people have certainly lifted heavy weights and gotten big with appropriate amount of volume. And then you can lift lighter or moderate rates, weights for a higher higher volume and also get pretty big doing it that way so yeah. uh when we hear about the like you gotta do eight to twelve reps to uh you know put on put on mass it definitely is not as simple as that and there's uh, a lot more range that people have when it comes to hypertrophy yeah i mean like the uh great ronnie said everybody want to be big nobody want to lift no heavy ass weight so <laughs> um yeah, my, my mind can't not go there. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's, it's because I, I mentioned Yates, right? And it's like, we're trying to like extrapolate protocols from some of the best to ever do it. Uh, but we have to realize that some of the best to ever do it are not natural human beings, right? Like they don't have the same hormones that we have. Um, and by we, I mean, us that don't stick needles in our asses. Um, so keep that in mind when we talk about these protocols and some like greats that popularize and all that stuff. Uh, take that stuff with a grain of salt as well because they're working with uh, an obscene advantage that we're not working with, not taking anything away from them. Because even if you're on drugs and you, you're able to get to the levels that some of these guys and girls got to or still get to is still very impressive. Um, but let's not try to get to those same levels uh, naturally think that we can get to those levels naturally by doing their training protocols um but giant sets yep so antagonist agonist uh same idea with uh triceps um depending on what the goal is um that's going to determine the rest time and and which which one you go with um opposing or like muscle groups um we need to see at least uh one through four here um but like we said um, you can extend that out and you can go for 36, like we said at the beginning of the of the podcast. But the uh, most popular training program that we talked about on this on this uh, on this show before would be GBC, those uh, German body composition programs. Uh, we talked about the differences between FBR and GBC. GBC would be uh, more giant set focused and very metabolically taxing, uh, very little rest between each ex exercise. And GBC isn't um, agonist, it would be antagonist. You're doing a bunch of different uh, patterns and you're using a bunch of different muscles, 
but you're keeping it uh, metabolic because you have that global fatigue that's going from A1 to A6 or A8, however that thing is set out. Typically in GVC, would it be more compound focused or do you, would you sprinkle in some uh, more isolation yeah, stuff I, in there too? It would be it would be the same idea in terms of keeping compounds at the top because that global fatigue is kicking in. You don't want to be doing back squats in the A6 because respiration is going to be high. Stability in the midline is going to be really low or very challenging. Um, so it's probably a bit more dangerous to put uh, compounds for most people to put those in the latter ends of GVC. So I would stick with the same idea of if we're going to do compounds, keep those in like the ones and twos. Absolutely. And in terms of intentions of programming something like that, that's like really metabolic. Uh, obviously, we're doing resistance training. We typically associate that with like building lean mass or getting stronger. But if we're talking about someone that needs to shift some body fat and uh, wants that metabolic advantage through resistance training, something like this could potentially be a good option for that for a period of time too. Yeah, um, I'd put that with Tri Giant and GBC being a part of Giant sets. Um, yeah, someone that wants to uh, shift their, their body composition away from being fatter. Um, yeah, it's a great option. Uh, because of the metabolic fatigue that occurs. I pulled an article on this uh, related to supersets, actually not triceps or giant mm -hmm. sets. Um, it is Kelleher, Hackney, Fairchild et al. Uh, the metabolic costs of reciprocal supersets, which would be an antagonist superset, versus traditional resistance exercise in young, recre recreationally active adults from the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research. So it what it found was that for the... Uh, People doing these supersets, again, same programs, uh, but shorter rest periods between exercises for the supersets. And then a long, like A1, short rest, A2, longer rest done uh, compared to all the way through. Mm -hmm. So higher energy expenditure um, during the during the actual like training for the superset folks versus the traditional folks. And I think it was 8.1 kcal a min versus 6.2 kcal a min mm -hmm. uh, for the superset versus, versus traditional. And then uh, excess post-exigen exercise oxygen consumption mm -hmm. uh, was 33% higher post-training for the uh, superset folks compared to the traditional folks. Is that short-term or long-term? Short-term being? Just six. 60 minutes post. Okay. They only looked at the 60 minute window after. Why do you ask? Because uh, there's differences between, uh, you know, directly after a training session and 24 hours post training session. That's where a lot of um, the, the metabolic science uh, really got not debunked, but uh, more clarity was given when we started to look at what's happening 24, 48 hours after exercise and not just directly after exercise, because what's happening directly after exercise that doesn't have a long-term effect or benefit or disbenefit. We have to look at what happens 24, 48, seven days, and we have to start looking at how do we recover from that exercise. So when we start to look at, um, I would I would call that immediate versus short-term. Yeah. Uh, immediate would be post-exercise, 60 minutes, and short-term would be 24-plus hours uh, post-exercise. So I think that's, all, that's, that's super important to understand. Yeah, that's great context to have. And yeah, I'm just confirming it was only 60 minutes post-exercise that they measured there. Uh, I guess other piece to note would be that the supersets took 30 minutes compared mm -hmm. to the traditional uh, set, straight sets, which took 36 minutes. So yeah. there's the efficiency piece for you. Yeah. And like uh, even like the, you know, KCALs burn per minute. Um, yeah. It's like, why is it eight versus six? Um, you know, it's more metabolically taxing. Heart rate is up you know, where the rest periods are shorter, you're working more uh, within 
any given minute. So that makes a lot of sense. It's like it's more metabolically taxing. But is it more metabolically taxing 48 hours after? Um, and that's that's where I was talking about the metabolic stuff, like the hit versus the long and slow. And, you know, the hit stuff was like this is this is it. Like everyone needs to be doing this for fat loss because uh, we're burning more kcals per minute. And it's like, well, pump your brakes. What does that look like two days after? And it was like, oh, well, we guess it kind of evens out. Right. Um, and that's the idea with resistance training versus aerobic training. It's like, which one is going to get you leaner quicker? Um, so many, so many variables and, uh, you know, what happens down the road, uh, from the, the work that we put in right now. Um, but I, I think that's always fascinating. It really like is. Like the long-term, the ta- long-term benefits or effects on that stuff. Oh, I feel like we should, could make some cool infographics on, uh, mm. on some of that data. Yeah. I think people would like that. Yeah. So I, I, pu- I pulled something um, the other day um, just looking at the effects of traditional supersets and trisets uh, and resistance training structures on perceived intensity and physiological responses by weekly et al. And this, is, this one looked at um, the differences between straight sets versus supersets versus trisets. They called straight sets traditional sets in this paper, um, but it was physiological differences. Um, trisets had the h- highest rate of perceived exertion for obvious reasons. Uh, supersets and trisets had greater lactate responses. And that goes back to, so let's talk about like why we think this is, cause they didn't really dig into the whys. Sure. They were just like, here's the data. Um, trisets har- highest RPE because you're doing a lot of work in a shorter period of time. Um, and they did, uh, they did, they did everything antagonist. Um, so it was just like the global fatigue and people just felt more fatigued after a one through a three versus a or a one, a two, uh, superset and triset greater lactate response. It's because you're just working and you have less time to buffer that lactate. So the concentration of lactate was higher after supersets and trisets, uh, supersets and triceps, uh, also showed a greater creatine kinase increase at the, um, one to two day mark. So essentially, we have to look at why is that, um, and then we have to look at the relationship between lactate production and creatine kinase production, and those things are those things are connected, right? So anything that's happening metabolically has a downstream effect on other metabolic processes. So that's where that's the fascinating part of of like work and doing work um, uh, really sticks out to me, uh, where it's like it's not we never just improve or increase or decrease one thing there's always other things that come along with that um supersets and trisets had greatest increase in testosterone immediately post-exercise supersets increased at the 24 mark as well so um that says that there's no magic in trisets in terms of uh testosterone production um but there might be some magic in supersets it's like why is that I'm going to venture to guess because that person is doing more intensity because they're doing supersets and not just trisets. So they're, they're taxing their bodies more, uh, not their bodies at a, at an RPE level, but their nervous systems more because they're going like, uh, you know, weighted pull up to weighted dip versus squat to weighted pull up to weighted dip. Um, so they're able to express more intensity in, in those pieces. And that's why we would see a greater amount of testosterone production 48 hours later. That was one of the arguments for like GVT style, like supersets there, mm-hmm. right? Was that 
they produce a higher uh, amount of like, you know, higher hormonal response post-training compared to other styles of training. Yeah. More, more uh, advanced GVT. Yeah. GVT was almost counterproductive for a lot of people because it was too much volume. For sure. <laughs> yeah. It was just too much. It was so taxing. So it was like, uh, that was so, let's call that like mechanical, mm -hmm. mechanically fatiguing that it wasn't able to be, um, uh, let's just call it like nervous system fatiguing, right? Where it's like, testosterone had to be produced, uh, you know, days later to keep up and recover. Um, so more in the advanced GVT piece. And that's why that's called, that's like the original functional bodybuilding sure. advanced GVT, mm -hmm. uh, because it was functional, not because of the type of exercises, but it was functional bodybuilding or functional hypertrophy, because not only were you putting on muscle mass, you were also getting stronger. So the idea that you're getting stronger, that's where the functional came into play. So that's like the original functional bodybuilding. I'm getting stronger and bigger, not I'm doing like circus movements and getting fitter. Um, it's stronger and bigger. That's yeah. where the functional came from there. Um, straight and superset showed a decrease in cortisol immediately post-workout. Uh, straight sets further decreased cortisol at the 24-hour mark. Why do you think that is? Say it one more time from the beginning. So straight and supersets yeah. showed a decrease in cortisol yeah. immediately post-workout. Okay. Straight sets further decreased cortisol at the 24-hour mark. I'm not sure. Yeah, so I would guess, um, like, what is cortisol, right? Cortisol is a hormone that's produced, um, functionally produced when we have to, like, get after it, sure. right? we want cortisol to start to do this or go down when we're done training because we don't need to use that hormone anymore. So when we look at um, triceps, right, because there's so much fatigue, cortisol is going to be pushed out further. We're going to produce higher amounts of cortisol. That's why we can't do triceps Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, like agonist triceps every single day because we have to start thinking about, am I going to be able to recover from this, right? Straight sets showed the biggest decrease in cortisol immediately post and at the 24-hour mark. So straight sets, based on this study, are more sustainable or easier to recover from when looking at cortisol specifically. So supersets and straight sets, less cortisol immediately post, and straight sets at the 24-hour mark were substantially lower than supersets and triceps. Do they give any indication of when uh, triceps did see a drop in uh, cortisol or significant drop in cortisol to match, I don't know, pre-training levels or... It wasn't significant enough at the 24-hour mark. Okay. So that just says it, it's tough to recover from triceps, yeah. essentially. are going to need more than a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. So that was interesting. Um, straight sets and triceps may require more time for recovery. That was like, this is what we got from this study. So... Would we have known that without reading this? I think so. Yeah. Right? But it's it's good to actually know the, the mechanics behind it and like the whys behind it. And for coaches to understand, we don't give, uh, you know, agonist tri-sets or, or giant sets um, every day because people can't recover from them. Um, so what do we give people? We give people stuff that they can recover from. But now you start to look at like, okay, how can I personalize these protocols for my clients? Um, and that's what I... That's what's really fascinating to me as well. It's like looking at the amount of days that people train and how that can determine what they do, right? 
uh, you're probably not doing straight sets with someone that trains twice a week. Like I mentioned earlier, right? It's like, but you can, you can explore with some things if people have a lot of time to recover between training sessions. Um, so yeah, just understanding those things and connecting that to how you personalize training programs is really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. There's so many factors that can go into deciding like which one is the best option for your client. Am I going to go with straight sets, supersets, tri-sets, giant sets? It's not as simple as like, this one's going to get you this goal. Mm -hmm. There's so many different pieces that go into that. I forgot to mention too, I didn't connect anything to straight sets, like a program. Oh yeah. The program that came to mind uh, with straight sets is just like the the traditional like push-pull leg split. Mm. Um and, you know, the way that that's laid out, and we would say that that split is for an advanced individual based on what we teach, right? Like the, the specific split. Um, yeah, so on one day you're doing all push pattern, right? You're probably not going to go A1, A2, push pattern, B1, B2, push, right? Because it's just like you're not going to get everything from those pieces. Um, and then again with the pull, it would be the same idea. It gets a little tricky with legs because now you can use a superset format because you can go quads and hamstrings or quads, hamstrings, and core or any variation of those things. But that's what came to mind, the push and the pull days and the push-pull legs where we would probably want to avoid supersets. Well, guys, uh, hopefully you drew some uh, helpful, practical advice from this uh, when it comes to sitting down and actually writing out program design. Any last thoughts you want to leave coaches with on uh, choosing the right set type? Uh, no, just have a reason for what you're doing and, and understand what the implications are of what you're doing. And, um, also understand that what you think you understand might not be right for each one of uh, your people. Get some feedback. Definitely. My, uh, I think my worst training cycle ever, the one that I like disliked the most was, uh, when I was doing some upper and then lower triceps, I had mm. alternating upper, lower, upper, lower four day, uh, four day program. Yeah of uh triceps i did not write this for myself it was written for me and mm. it was miserable i think it's like the only time i haven't i've not finished workouts before but like a regular training session yeah, yeah. you know where there wasn't like an injury or something mm -hmm. i just like didn't didn't finish it an upper body session in particular yeah Whew. what was it like agonist a1 a2 a3 no type it what was, was it? I, and i remember the exact session it was a weighted pull-up it was a decline bench press and then i think it was a oh maybe like uh, I don't remember what the third exercise was, maybe like a kettlebell shoulder press or something like that. And I get really, like I get a huge amount of fatigue from pull-ups, mm -hmm. like just complete like system destroyed fatigue from yeah. doing any pull-up uh, variation, especially with intensity. And I was destroyed. Like that killed me. Yeah. Which is not surprising because um, if I, if I were to sit down and write, uh, you know, a, a tricep program of any kind, and if it was, cause this is like sex dependent as well. If it was for a female, I would be weary on upper body try and giant sets. Um, gosh, especially for females, but even for males, it's very hard. It's hard as hell to recover from pushing. Yeah. Uh, it's very, very hard. Even for me, like, you know, I'll do any variation of a bench press and I go and do any other type of pushing and I'm just annihilated. I'm just annihilated. Um, so yeah, upper, upper gets uh, tricky. You have to be really careful with the amount of rest that you put between each exercise because if you go short amounts of rest with um, loaded pushing, it uh, becomes really challenging. And uh, it's very uh, disheartening when you do like a, a push tricep, even if it's a push-pull tricep and you have like a compound push and you have something in the pull 
in a pole variation and then you're doing like parallel push-ups or any push-up variation you're like oh my god i did eight push-ups why is everything on fire and seizing up right now yeah why did i do five pull-ups in my first round and could only do one in my fifth (laughs) (laughs) oh all right guys well uh reminder to make sure you check out ccp enrollment if you want to be a ccp coach in 2022 we'd love to have you as well as uh going ahead and check out learn rx for that new uh program section We'll be be, uh, back with you next week. Bye, guys.